Welcome to Kishwaukee Bible Church. Let's pray. God, thank you for the gift of music and the talents that you've given our musicians and musicians all over the world who are worshiping now. Thank you now, God, also for your word. May your spirit flourish as we read it, as we absorb it, and as we live it out. We pray this in Jesus' name for his glory. Um, a couple things you need to know about me. Um, I've got a really, as they may say in one of the movies of the 1990s, I've got a gargantuan cranium, and my head is really big, so we had to do adjustments to the mic, so if this continues to be a problem, we'll have to go to the mic stand. Okay. Please excuse my gargantuan cranium. And also, uh, I am literally from the old school. I graduated from school that had its first graduating class in 1892. I was in 1972, and I used papers. So yes, I am literally and figuratively from the old school. I don't use iPads or anything like that. But today, we're going to go on to much better things. We're going to read uh, from the look at the book of Malachi. But I want to recap a little bit what Ted taught us last week. Ted helped us see in the book of Malachi that the people of Israel had gone from faith to faithlessness and that these people were in a fog about God's love for them. We also saw that Israel was in a fog as to even how to love God and how to love one another. The book of Malachi, Ted showed us, was identified a deep need for all of us for a Messiah, a need for Christ. And we were also reminded that the the Israelites were called, as all of God's people are called, to a deeper faith in Christ and hence have a better understanding of his love. This week, we will see that the fog of the nation was due primarily to the priest's disobedience. And as we talk about that, we'll see that the priesthood, we'll see what the priesthood was like then under the law, what God expected of his chosen priests to do to serve him and his people, how God exposed the disobedience and corruption of the priests and how God dealt with that and that this fog deepened because the people lacked understanding of God's promises of life and peace. We'll also take a look at the priesthood today under the new covenant of grace. We'll see that we are chosen to be priests of Jesus because of Jesus and how we in Christ can love and serve God and how we, because of Christ, will experience life and peace with God when we put our faith in him and serve him. We'll read now from the book of Malachi. If you can turn in your Bibles, iPads, Kindles. Uh, we'll start with chapter, chapter 1, verse 14, and we'll read through verse 9 of chapter 2. Verse 14 says, Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock, and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. And now, O priests, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them, because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. 
My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of the law, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. Let's pray. God, these are harsh words to a group of men you've chosen as leaders to be of your people. And they were disobedient. And yet you also, in the midst of that, give an example of how they are to serve you and love you and serve your people and love them. So help us to know how to apply that in our own lives today, God, as we walk through this passage. And again, that you would put your blessing upon this reading of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the fog of the nation was due primarily to the priest's disobedience. I mean, we see leadership today. The priests were the leaders of the, of the nation of Israel. We see leadership today, political leaders, municipal leaders, corporate leaders, even religious leaders. When they disobey, when they, have, when they compromise their ethics, the people underneath them inevitably suffer. And this is what's happening here with the nation of Israel. You see, the priesthood then under the law, as we mentioned earlier when we, just, we talked about our great high priest, was, was established by the Lord God through the tribe of Levi. And um, not only they were, they were chosen to do specific things, the sacrifices, the instruction, tend to the temple, but as their income, they had no other income except a partial tithe from what the general tithe was to the temple. The people of Israel would bring their tithes to the temple and these priests would receive a portion of that and that was their income. And because it was the best, the people would always bring their first fruits and the best of their, their animals or whatever, the priests would get a good, a, a, a really nice <laughs> larder there uh, to deal with, to eat from. It was also a hereditary position because when you were, when you were a priest, your God established that your son would become a priest. And so you'd move up like that, and, and it would be a family thing, only in the tribe of Levi. The expectations of God, though, sacrifice, instruct, tend to my temple. These are God's expectations. But the priests of Malachi's time did not obey. And so God had to expose their disobedience and corruption. And he actually cursed the priests. And he commanded them through this curse. Please listen. Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. And now, O priests, I give this command, my, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. He's cursing them because he's protecting his name and his covenant. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But God, God says, I am a great king, 
and my I says the Lord, and my name will be feared among the nations. Now he, now he carries this threat out. And the threat is, Behold, I will rebuke your offspring. I will spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. This dung that he's talking about is actually the waste from the sacrifices. It's awful, O-F-F-A-L. It's referred to as dung here in this translation. And what God is, is going to do, he's going to put this on the priests and make them unclean. And he will take them away. He will remove them from his office because now they are unclean. It can no longer serve as his priests. And moreover, he's not even going to allow his son, their sons to become priests. And he's cursing their blessings. What they receive from the people have now been cursed as well. And the reason for the curse, we need to understand something about God's name and about God's covenants. Because God had to, had to do this to cover his name. Brief na word about God's name and covenants. So when I was, when I was active as a, an, a paid employee of someone somewhere, I worked for many different companies, and at least four of them were owned by families, privately held companies by families and, and people, individuals. And the names would be up on the, on the buildings, and the names would be on the product, and the names would be on all the, all the letterheads and everything. Sometimes, often, we employees would get into arguments. Why are we doing things this way? Why do we have to do this? We got to do that. I don't understand. We want to do it this way. And somebody would inevitably say, yeah, but you know what? Your name is not on the building. Your name is not on the building. And, you don't, and your name is not on the place that signs your check. So the people of these companies, these corporate leaders, these families, would protect their, their name. They protect their products. How much more so would God protect his covenant? How much more so would God protect his name? You see, the history of covenants, God created covenants from way back when we desperately needed it in the, in the book of Genesis. You know, after God created everything and he said, behold, it is very good. Chapter three, what do we do? First thing we do is we sin. And the next thing God does, which he had already planned, he made the vow to bring a savior, a Messiah. He established the very first covenant. And all the other covenants support this covenant. The Abraham covenant, the Davidic covenant, and the covenant to Levi. God will always protect his name, and he'll always protect his covenant. And he always fulfills his side of the covenant. And so he says to these priests, So shall you know that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord God of hosts. I'm doing these things so I can protect my name. The covenant with Levi was pretty cool. Let's read about that. Verse 5 says, My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. God promised Levi life and peace, and he delivered on that promise. And Levi revered and obeyed God, and he respected the holiness and majesty of God's name. Then we see that Levi was an example for the Lord's priests to follow. It says in verse 6 that true instruction was in his mouth and no wrong was found on his lips and he turned many from iniquity. 
Levi spoke without error, instructed God's truth, God's word in all his precepts, and because of the steadfastness of his speaking God's truth, many turned from their sins. Now, given the priests of Malachi's time did not have Jesus as an example of a great high priest the way we do today, but they did have Levi, and they did have God's covenant with Levi, and they understood what was, what was expected of them. And God says in verse 7, For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. He says to the, these priests, You are my messenger, and you are to protect the truth and provide instruction based on my truth. Moreover, people should want to hear what you have to say. But instead, these priests are subject to more just, very justified accusation from the Lord. The Lord says, but you have turned away, turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people. Inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality instruction, the priests failed to fulfill any of God's expectations that he had as their messengers. They corrupted the covenant with Levi, and God just cannot sweep that under the rug. So now he's going to make them a laughingstock before everyone. I suppose the dung on the faces would be good about that. Good, good giveaway for that uh, laughingstock. But, you know, actually they got off easy because according to Numbers 18, they should have been subject, they were subject to death for their disobedience and their corruption. So how about us? What do we do with this? We live in a covenant of, of grace, the new covenant of grace. Well, the priesthood today, under the new covenant of grace, first of all, Jesus perfectly fulfilled the Levitical covenant, perfectly. And he is our perfect example of a great high priest. We, we celebrated that earlier. And the priesthood of Jesus himself established the priesthood of believers. Now, we too are also God's chosen priests and messengers. Second Peter 2 says that because, because of Christ, we are a chosen race. We are a royal priesthood. And Ted reminded us last week, in, from, as he read from Revelations 1, that Jesus freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom of priests to his God and Father. And 2 Corinthians 5, 19 and 20 say that we have been entrusted with a message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. So we are his priests. We are his chosen priests. And we are his messengers. And this is because our great high priest died for us. And it was precisely because he died that we are called to serve God in this way. 2 Corinthians 5 also says, He died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So now we can live to love and serve our Lord Jesus. And Hebrews 9 says, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offer himself without blemish to God, 
purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So we are now able to love and serve the Lord through the death of Christ, through our great high priest. So how do we obey and serve God in these roles? What's expected of us? Fundamentally, we start by loving one another. John 13, Jesus said to his disciples, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. But we are only capable of of true sacrificial love because of what God showed us through his son. 1 John 4, 19 says, we love because he first loved us. We love one another because God has loved us. Now we we start by loving one another and we love by God by obeying him. 1 John 5, 3 tells us that this is love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Begs the question, what are his commandments? (laughs) Jesus answered that very same question to a Pharisee back in Matthew 22. Pharisee tried to trick him. Okay, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. We love God by obeying him. And we see that we obey God by loving others. So, loving thy neighbor. I'm sure many of us can think of specific times in our lives when, okay, there was an opportunity to love somebody we either were loving or we were not. I can think of a, a, a story my pastor in California, his name is Jeff, and he was, he was mentored by a man by the name of Larry, and they would often go to downtown Los Angeles, a big park downtown Los Angeles, and serve the homeless on several weekends a month. And some of these people got to know Larry and Jeff very well. And one weekend they went there, Jeff was saying they went there, and, and there's a man whom they see there off and on, but the man seemed particularly distressed. So they prayed with him, but they talked to him, and he said, what's wrong? He says, I don't feel well. What's wrong? Says, My feet are killing me. So, so Larry said, would you mind if we wash your feet? And the man said, no, please do. So Larry found a clean rag and some water, And as they removed his shoes, no socks, Jeff said the odor was so strong it almost knocked him down. He could not believe this man's feet were sore, had sores and open wounds, and they were just an awful stench. But Larry took that clean, cold water with that rag and washed this man's feet. And years later, when my elderly father-in-law came to live with us, and caregivers and, of elderly and, and the infirm can maybe relate to this. Jeanette and I would often have to give him his bath. And we have to bathe him and dry him because he couldn't do this for himself. And I thought about that with Jeff and Larry, how their, 
their love was displayed to that man. And now I'm able to love somebody in that same way. We can also love in our, in our communities, in our neighborhood. Jeanette and I lived in a small uh, blue-collar neighborhood in, in, uh, in uh, DeKalb. That's where it was. That other town? <laughs> and um, so we lived here, and we had Ed over here. Okay, I'm facing the street. Ed's over on this side. Bob's over here. And then we had Edna, and we had Winnie, and we had Jose and his family. And we got along with everybody. But these people, hmm, not so much. And it was kind of rough sometimes. Well, one year when I was laid off, and many of you know I was laid off a couple times, but one year I was laid off an entire summer, and I was mowing my lawn. And I would often mow Ed's lawn because we shared a driveway with Ed, and Ed would plow the snow, and I didn't like to deal with snow, and Ed didn't like to mow, so it worked out very well. It was a great symbiotic relationship. I would mow, and he'd remove the snow, and forget that poem. But anyways, we were, this is what we did. But this one particular summer, I found out that Bob was, was rather ill. And he had some physical um, disabilities that he was trying to work through, and he wasn't able to, to mow his lawn. Of course, he and Ed, remember, did not get along. So Bob asked if I would mind mowing his lawn. I said, no, that's okay. I like mowing lawns. I'm kind of crazy that way. And so I just would mow these three lawns. Sometimes I'd mow three lawns in one afternoon. No big deal. And one day, I was finishing up Bob's lawn, and Ed came home. Ed says, why are you mowing his lawn? That guy's, no, I don't like that guy. Why are you mowing his lawn? I said, the only thing I could think of was love one another. I said, Ed, it's a, it's a labor of love, I guess. And he looked at me like, like I was speaking a foreign language. But that's why I was doing it. That community needed to see God's love. As Jesus' disciples and God's messengers for Christ, love for Jesus is manifest in the way we love other humans. And that attracts those people who are truly seeking. This is how we serve God on earth as his priests and messengers. But God promised blessings to Levi in his, in his um, covenant with him, and that still works for us today. Well, applies to us today. We find the blessings of life and peace, just as Levi did when we trust Jesus and obediently serve him. Jesus offers life to all who come to him. Consider this. Jesus said in John 3, 14 and 15, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness... So must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And again, Jesus' promise to the woman at the well still remains today. In John 4, he said to her, Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And in, in John 6, Jesus simply stated, I am the bread of life. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Remember, we remembered that giving of his flesh earlier. Now, taking communion, sharing the Lord's Supper, no, that does not save us. It helps us remember that awesome sacrifice. But Jesus said, my life, my flesh is the bread of life. And I will give you water welling up into eternal life. 
And whoever believes in me on the cross will have eternal life. Jesus offers life to everyone who comes to him. Jesus also offers eternal peace for all who come to him. In Ezekiel 38, God says, I will make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them. And I will set them in their land and multiply them and will set my sanctuary in their midst forevermore. My dwelling place shall be with them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. For the children of God, for children of God, this wonderful peace is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And when you are a disciple of Christ, Jesus promises, as he did his disciples in John 14, he says, peace I live you, leave you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. For the children of God, we are given peace that the world cannot understand. And we have nothing to fear through Jesus Christ. This is a great peace. Paul says it very concisely and so very powerfully in Ephesians 2 when he talks about Christ and he says, he himself is our peace. And thank you, Pearson, you mentioned that as well. Jesus Christ himself is our peace. To know and to love Jesus is to know true peace. I have a Christmas story to share. My mother was born in 1924, and she was, lived in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, until she married my dad near the end of World War II. And it was she and her, her sister, Lois. My mom's name was Marie Elizabeth, but she always went by Elizabeth. Lois and Elizabeth, and then the two younger ones came during the Depression. People thought my grandparents were crazy for having babies during the Depression, but they did. And that's fine. <laughs> So this is Franny, Franny and Kitty, and then Elizabeth and Lois. So it's Christmas Eve when my mom was about six years old, first grade, and um, they hadn't had their tree yet because in those days people would put their trees up either on Christmas Eve or, or the day of, and they wouldn't do it like the day after Thanksgiving. They just did. They did it. You know. Okay, this is the day the holiday we're, we're celebrating now. So the girls were all anxious and stuff on Christmas Eve and the. And, and grandma and grandpa, according to my mom, would say, you girls need to get to bed. Otherwise, Santa Claus is not going to bring the tree and he's not going to leave presents for you. So they scurried on up to bed and they waited for Santa Claus. Well, what they didn't know that my, because they lived in town, they lived in a three flat and across the street kind of diagonal from them was a firehouse. And so they, my grandpa had arranged for one of the firefighters to bring the tree over in the middle of the night or after the girls had gone to bed. Well, the girls are laying there in bed, and they're, they're trying to be quiet and contain themselves, and, and then they hear these noises downstairs, and they hear a man's voice, and it's not their dad's voice, and they kind of peek to see what's going on, and, and they hear their dad talking to this guy, and they see well, there's a trunk of a tree. That might be our tree. We can see the bottom part of the tree. They can only see the bottom part of the tree. And they saw some black boots. Oh my goodness, those must be the black boots of Santa Claus. What do you think? They got all excited and they went back upstairs and they went to sleep, kind of, I think. And they got up early the next morning and the tree was beautifully decorated. Just gorgeously decorated. And underneath this tree were gifts for Lois and Elizabeth. 
And my mom said she picked up her gift. And you know, one thing you need to know about my mother is she loved to write. She had perfect penmanship up until the day she died. And she just was, trust me, she was a stickler on grammar and a stickler on spelling too. I can attest to that. But she loved to write. And so she loved to, even as a little kid, she liked to practice her penmanship and, and her writing and, and, and her letters. And, but they, it was the Depression. They couldn't afford to buy a lot of papers. But this present solved all that. She opened up this present, and it was a brand new slate blackboard. And she had chalk to go with it. So little Elizabeth could write anything she wanted on that blackboard, practice her letters to her little heart's content, wipe it clean and do some more writing. And oh, she just enjoyed that. She'd spoken about that. I mean, I heard this story when I was in my 40s. That's how much this impacted her. And I just want to let you know that if you're not in Jesus Christ, if you don't have your faith in Jesus Christ, at Christmas time, especially at this time, Anytime is good, but especially this time. If you come to him, he'll give you a brand new slate. See, the slate of my heart before I came to Jesus had a bunch of junk on it, a bunch of crud that happened to me or that I perpetrated on other people, thoughts and words that I should have never said. But Jesus wipes all that stuff clean, and he keeps it clean. And the slate of the heart now has the stories that Jesus writes on it for eternity. I just pray that if you don't know Christ, you would ask him to change your heart and give you a clean slate. I was afraid of going along. It's not going to happen. So, but we're going to pray. And... Um, yeah, let's just pray. Father God, you are so good. Um, <laughs> you are ever so good. And our great high priest is even, even so much greater than we can comprehend. We thank you that you send him as a little baby. We look forward to him coming. This is how we celebrate the season. But we praise you, God. We thank you for loving us enough to sacrifice him that we might know and serve you as your son Jesus did. We praise you, God. May you be lifted up this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us. For more information about our church, please visit our church's website at kishbible.org. That's K-I-S-H-Bible dot O-R-G.